Yeah, you're either in the gang or you're out. That's what we want exactly. to know. Exactly. Are you part exactly. of this ride or die life? Because if so, you can mm-hmm. you can roll with us. We're very very tough. Yep. You are listening to Writing Our Way Out with Maeve and Kyle. She is Maeve, and I continue not to be, which means which means <laughs> I must be Kyle. must be the other one, yes. right? Maeve, yes. what's going on? Hey, I'm just having a great day. It is a nice, cool day in Kansas. Um, we're sending revolutionary vibes out into the world, and we're here to talk about our writing, which Let's has been a go. wonderful process. And today, we're going to talk about you. So how are you doing, Kyle? How are you doing? And I'm doing great. I'm a little nervous because today is all about me. Um, And as you know, anyone who's listened to our podcasts before, uh, I like to deflect. Um, I really appreciate the ability to become furniture in conversations Mm. about things that uh, blow back to me. And so I think we've picked a good piece. I for do. today. Totally I think agree that this will give you the opportunity to both deflect and dig in at the mm. same time. Into it. Totally mm-hmm. into it. And you know, you said it's a cool day in Kansas, which I imagine is a hot day in Massachusetts. What it is it probably a cool, is? What's a cool day in Kansas right now? I haven't checked. It's just, it rained and the clouds are covering the sun. Okay. So, we're around we're around 91, which is pretty hot for us. Yeah, we might be Okay. It might be a little bit under that today. But you got the Midwestern heat, which is, uh, it, it hurts. It's not the heat, it's the humidity, it's, so they say. It's, yeah, well, so that's, they that's say. why my hair is I've never busy. known the difference. Yeah. So. <laughs> when we, uh, every time we gather, it's a good idea to reset the table here. I want to encourage people to go back and listen to all of the, the previous episodes. These are not chronologically posted. There's nothing, there's no, uh, with the exception of uh, of the, uh, the general badassery that I was commenting on earlier, uh, there's nothing necessarily... That, that sticks out in, in space and time. So go back, listen, listen in whatever order you want. Hopefully you see a topic. We typically, we have a, a book of essays that we are working on, all centered around the topic of writing our way out of the COVID pandemic, specifically using the, uh, using the, the, the using grace as our centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and the grace journey- and love, and both grace and love. Indeed, yes. indeed. I think I went to school with them. Um, and so they- are uh, our, our, our governing principles. And yes. it's been really wonderful to explore and to see these different things in different, different places in our lives. Sometimes they happen in obviously organic places. You know, you've written about, you know, your community. We'll talk about community today. Um, uh, you've written about yoga, which also isn't necessarily a place that I think one would think uh, to, to look for grace. I've written about baseball, not necessarily a graceful mm-hmm. topic. Um, and so I've really enjoyed digging into it and finding out where are the places that we can find grace and love. And so um, we went over the pre-order last night. All you have to do is just write a post-it note, stick it on your front door. You can get a copy of our book <laughs> as soon as it's available. You're, you're, you're keeping track of all the post-its, right? I, I am. Okay. I, I am indeed. There was a special thing they had to write on it. I think it was a, a yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, yes, that's please. exactly it. That's how you know that you're ordering our book. <laughs> Just yes, please. Post-it note, front door, um, and actually the first seventeen uh, pink post-it notes will get a second copy on me. 
<laughs> That's true. We'll cut it off at 17. It's a specific though. color of pink, and we're not going to tell you what that color is. No, exactly. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> and as you covered in a previous episode, we are not even going to tell you how much the, the book costs. <laughs> no, <You're, laughs> because we don't know. Yeah, you're either in the gang or you're out. That's what we want exactly. to know. Are you part exactly. of this ride or die life? Because if so, you can, mm-hmm. you can roll with us. We're very, very tough. Yep. Today, we're focusing on one of my pieces, and um, honestly, I'm honored. Uh, it's not a... I, as a journalist and a broadcaster, I'm used to telling other people's stories. So writing my stories uh, is puts me in an interesting position. Well, you're Not doing that. a great job with it. And I chose this one. This is one of the more recent pieces that you've written, but it jumped off the pages at me when I read it for the first time. And Very kind of you. I, I think that it is the the topic that we're discussing today that really drove it home for me. Um, and all of these things are just fitting the theme. So The piece that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at through the lens of community Mm. and I want to lean in. So, you know, our tagline is writing our way out of COVID with as much grace and love as possible. And I want to lean into the love a little bit more because that's what you do in this piece. And so let's start off just by talking about community and the absence of community that we felt during the the first year of COVID, probably the first two years of COVID, and then in surprising waves. You know, there have been times where we thought we're we're starting to gather again, things are getting a little bit more comfortable, and then you know we have to self correct mm-hmm. as the uh, as the tides change. Tell me, Kyle, how you what you think about when you think about community. What are the first things that come to mind for you? Uh, I'll just, I'll answer, I'll answer in the way you just asked. What are the first things that come to mind? It's support. It's, uh, it's support through people. Um, and, uh, and that support through people, it does not specify a like-minded group. Um, uh, often, um, a community can be geographic. Um, it doesn't have to be, uh, I, you know, I think about locality, but not in terms of geography, um, a community and, and, uh, I'm going to put this on the side. I, I will talk in a minute about faith communities as I'm learning about them. Um, and uh, But for me, throughout my entire life, community has meant a group of people with whom we gather. And then with we do with what we will after that. Um, you know, we are members of communities that we don't sign up for. And that can sometimes work. And it sometimes does not work. A classroom setting, for example, um, a, a workplace community. Um, it can work and it cannot. Um, but there are also communities that we choose. Um, we choose our friend group, our, our, our local friend community. Um, we choose the, um, you know, the, if you volunteer in a local organization, that's a different community to which you belong. Mm-hmm. There's also, uh, you know, lo- like I mentioned, geographic communities, which I think tend to get a lot of the oxygen. Uh, but that is ne- not necessarily how I define community. And so when we talk today, about this piece, um, about my, there's a couple of communities that I, that I really write about. There is, um, the community in which I grew up, um, in in which I was raised. Uh, this, this whole piece really centers around my neighborhood, my childhood neighborhood, a neighborhood I haven't lived in, in a quarter century, but still is frozen in time. Like, you know, like it just stuck in Amber and, uh, and it's all with the very few exceptions. It looks exactly the same. I can tell you who lived where. In fact, when we, when Aaron and I, my brother, who plays a large part in this piece, when we walk to the the the, the community store, which is where we go in this, um, we rattle off the names of all the people who 
live in those houses in our minds. Those people, many of them are dead. Uh, many of them have been gone for 40 years. They might be people from our earliest childhood that moved out when we were in elementary school. And yet it will still be Ruth's house. It will still be Jason's house. It will still be Jamie's house. And we will still talk every single time about how Jamie would have his dog chase us when we were kids on purpose because he thought it was funny and how that's still one of the reasons why another one of our friends is terrified of dogs. And so this community, that locality is important, but the community for me, in terms of what we are writing about really involves a support system. And this support, as you mentioned, coming out of COVID was something that we had to actively re-engage with. Um, we weren't, uh, we've seen people, I think, in our, in our lives who have come through this crisis very differently than they went into it. And, um, and I think that's a, that's, there, there's a, a lot we've learned about our communities, whether it's the, the poison rhetoric around the pandemic or the political um, environment. Our communities have changed. And so, you know, there are some people who still live in our neighborhoods who we haven't seen since the, since the world started opening back up again. And they've chosen to remove themselves from the community. And that changes the community fundamentally. Center the concept of community around the concept of love for me. Mm. You know, I, you, you told me that you were going to ask this probably three or four hours ago, and I'm not quite there yet, but I have, I have over the course of the last couple of hours to try to triangulate this relationship between love and community, because I don't necessarily think it's organic. Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, I think that there's, I mean, you don't have to, especially in 2022. And, you know, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I don't want to believe that everything was harmonious until 2016. I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to believe that because it's not true. Right. It's, um, not true. it's not true. And, and yet, and yet we see the way that it feels like communities are fracturing now at a rate that is, it's, there are more communities being fractured, I think, than other communities cropping up. And, uh, you know, I don't know, it's, it seems to me like the Petri dish uh, curve where eventually you just see the bacteria, you know, drop off. Right. Um, and so I don't think there's an organic relationship. However, I do believe that the relationship between love and community, when it works in concert, when it is harmonious, when there is at least a fundamental respect for things like love. Um, and I say things like love because I don't think that people necessarily define love the same way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like whatever an expression of love is um, to anyone, when they can center that, when they put the baseline at that, then I believe those are healthy communities. Um, but I also think that love in a community doesn't happen on its own. It has to be tended. Um, it has to be grown. Uh, it has to be talked about. And so this is something, and I think as we get into my piece a little bit, um, my brother and I tend our love. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a centerpiece of my life. Um, you know, and it's something that he and I, you know, there's, uh, we hear record scratch moments when two dudes who look like us still kiss on the lips every time we see each other. And, um, and like, that's, it doesn't, it, it doesn't compute for a lot of people. And, uh, but that's something that we have just sort of determined doesn't matter to us. Um, and so we tend to love. And I think that, that that's the kind of thing that can grow a community. And I think our neighborhood also had that because of our presence, because of Aaron and I being so unabashed with our willingness to share that love openly.
Yeah, that's a great transition to the next thing that I was going to ask you. Awesome. And so as I was reading this piece or just in our conversations and our writing over the last month or so, I have noticed a very strong connection to your hometown within your writing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see that as a fixture of who you are before this. Now, our friendship was really different in past years than it is right now. And a lot of that has to do with um, what we would talk about when we were just in a shared space. Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe we just didn't get to the topic. That's one choice. Or maybe something is happening in your life right now that is increasing your connection to your hometown. And I wanted to ask you about that, which one you, maybe it's both, it's probably both, but to what extent are you growing in your connection to your hometown and to your roots? That is a beautiful and astute question. And I appreciate it. It is only B. There is, um, I have undergone in the last six months, a fundamental shift in who I am. Um, people who grow up in my hometown of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, a beautiful, wonderful city that has maybe, um, it's, it's the image of, of, the, of the old weathered New England fishermen with the leathery skin that you can just, you can see the, the beauty and the experience and you can, you can taste the salt on his skin um, but the photo's always in sepia, so you have to imagine the colors. Right. That's Pittsfield. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not on the coast. <laughs> so I don't want to... You don't want to ra- romanticize it too much as this Massachusetts beachy town. It's not a beach town. There's right, two lakes. But, yeah. But, and so what's happened is I have, if I'm being honest, Maeve, through our discussions, recognized how important... It, and our, yours and mine... Um, this discussion, this explicit discussion of grace and love that you and I have as part of our fixtures of our friendship, um, I have recognized how important that town, that city is to developing me as the person I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't always like that. There are really only two types of people who have been born in Pittsfield. There are people who stay and will fight for it. And there are people who leave and in the back of their throat are really sad and they can feel the sadness that they had to leave or felt that they yeah. had to leave. Okay. And, um, and so I have now, um, after, gosh, I left in 99. So 23 years. Um, I have finally, I, it's like you're walking down a street at night. You hear the footsteps behind you. That was my hometown. Mm-hmm. And after 23 years, I am finally turning around to see that it is in fact, not a danger. It is, it was just, it was there, it was there just following me all along and yeah, uh, there was that. no threat there. Yeah. 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 And I'm someone who has very few connections left to my hometown and I, I loved it. I loved where I grew up. I loved it when I was there. I grew up in St. Peter's, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. I taught there in the same school district for five years, which is an experience you and I share. Mm-hmm. Um, you taught at your own high school. I taught at a neighboring high school in the same district and, and with my high school English teacher. And I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave that town. And I, I did, and still made the choice to, and eventually my parents moved away and then my brother moved away. And now it's just kind of crickets. When I drive down interstate 70 past St. Peter's, Missouri, I just don't have 
that same connection to it. And I wish I had something pulling me back into that space on a regular basis. But the thing that pulls us back into those spaces is community. It, ooh, look at you. That's a beautiful tie. Might I say, if it's community, um, I'm going to speak on behalf of my hometown. I'd like to welcome you as, a, as, as an honorary Pittsfield, Massachusetts native. I think uh, St. Peter's and Pittsfield pair well together. So welcome to the club. We're going to okay, get great. We, your, your membership cards in the mail. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and here's what you need to know. You have to pick a side. Are you the hot dog ranch or are you TO's hot dogs? So you have to don't jump into that. I'll explain off air, you know, okay. what, what the implication is. That's the Fantastic. only thing you need. And then you're officially a member of the Pittsfield community. If we have any listeners, by the way, who have been to both Pittsfield, Massachusetts and St. Peter's, Missouri, we would really like to hear from you to know how accurate Kyle's statement was right there. Oh my gosh. I haven't. I've been to one and you have not been to both of these. If I if either. I drove, if I where where on I-70 is it? I've driven to St. Louis across the Mississippi. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. You know what that if, doesn't count. What if I stop for gas? I'm trying to figure count. this out. It doesn't count. Just because you stopped a quick trip doesn't mean you know us. I think <laughs> Peter's Missouri. You're like, you back off, Belanger. Yeah, for back real. Not today. <laughs> not <laughs> not today, Belanger. But today we will talk about your relationship with your brother. And I'm going to start off with, oh, actually, let me invite you to talk about the essay. Um, you've, you've talked a little bit about some basic elements that this is about you and your brother. It's about you and your brother in your neighborhood. Uh, give me the moment you decided to write this piece. That's awesome. So uh, uh, to be honest, my I have two different ways that I, I'm writing my essays. One, mm-hmm. I have an experience where I think this is important and I, and I don't know why yet. So I'm going to start writing it out, right? I always think about the writing, the writing philosophy. We write for two reasons, right? We either write to learn or we write to show what we've learned. And, Absolutely. and I do both in our collection. Um, and so this was one of the first I was writing to learn. Um, I had started this. So I had just been to my parents' house to drop my kids off. Well, um, my wife and a bunch of friends and I were going to the Finger Lakes in New York. And for whatever reason, it just worked out that I was at my parents' house for six hours waiting for the ri- waiting for the cavalry, cavalry to show up and grab me. And, um, and so my brother was there too. And for the first time in a few years since before the pandemic, um, Aaron and me and Larry and Donna, my mom and dad, Big Lair and Big Don, uh, we sat on the porch and had beers together while the kids were inside playing. And that felt special. And I remember thinking this is, this might be fodder and I don't know why yet. Mm-hmm. But then later, as we were sitting waiting for dinner to be ready, Aaron said to me, do you want to walk to the store? And that was something that triggered, it really hit me in a spot because do you want to walk to the store was um, was a centerpiece of our relationship for the summers. We have a beautiful corner store and and I just, we were there and I was, I was in a time warp and I recognized when I got to New York the next day, I was up very early sending some texts and just like, you know, getting things together. And I was like this, I, I need to, I need to write about that walk and then I'll figure out if it's going anywhere. And I started, and then you hopped in honestly and said, I think, I think there's something there. Mm-hmm. And that was my, um, that was my motivation to find out what was there. So yeah, that's, that's how it started. And I'm, and I'm pretty pleased the way it came out. 
All right, let's look at the beginning of this. And the first thing that I want to talk about is the first piece that I highlighted and what you just said connects really well to it. And so I just kind of want to bring together this thesis moment within your writing. You write, during the height of the COVID pandemic, many of us lost connection with our touchstones, whether physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. As we turned inward, we lost the physical ability to make contact with the elements that defined our humanness. Hmm. And in that you are listing these, these touchstones are these different elements of community. Ooh, we, I think community are. exists within a physical space that we can usually identify or bring our communities to. And we have these emotional and mental ties. A lot of times community is built from spiritual spaces or is very deeply connected to our spirituality. And so talk to me about these, these touchstones for you and how they tie in with your own, not the general, but your own humanness. Ooh, that is you, you thunk about this a lot and I like it. Um, yeah. So I found that my personal, it's weird to say a lot of eyes, that my personal COVID pandemic experience, when I started to lose touch of my humanness, um, it was, it was gradual. When I started to lose touch with my physical community, which was a couple of ways, um, my workplace community, I, I'm a professor of communications. When that was stripped from me, when I no longer could, and I'm, you can probably tell, I think you and I are very similar teachers. Um, I'm very dynamic and I'm very tactile. I am, I don't stay still. There are photos of me floating around on the internet of like laying on tables, reaching across <laughs> tables to make points. Um, if Eric's and we're listening, both extroverts. Yes, yes. Both of us are very extroverted and need that personal stimulation in your piece tones that we'll hopefully talk about, um, at Ooh. some point in the future, wow. you talk, you talk about that. I mean, yes. I, I don't want to get it too far off topic, but sliding down the stairs, sort of happy on the first couple of days being like, mm -hmm. I'll start this meeting whenever, Hey, yeah. who cares? So what? And then, uh, but that, yeah, so that was my first loss of touch, physical touch. Then I think, um, it was the emotional piece. I started to lose touch uh, by, um, with the assistance of chemicals, I started to slowly lose touch with my emotional community. Um, I began to be talking very honestly. Um, I would time when I could have my first drink, not when the kids were done with their online school, but whenever I was done with my last class, some days that was 1130. And it was just, and then that turned into the spiritual loss, the yeah. loss of who I am. And I'm, you know, I'm sort of, I've been I've been on this journey, as you know, um, where I'm starting to uh, starting to recognize that um, that that the hedge, the New England hedge of being like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual is um, is just that it's a hedge. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a New England stubbornness. So I'm starting to come to um, terms with my own religiosity. Uh, it's a work in progress. But so the um, the 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 spiritual loss of those touchstones for me it was as Casper Terkyle in the uh, in the episode of Jen Hatmaker's podcast uh, for the love of conversation was talking about, you know, I found, I found my religious experiences in other communities. You know, for mm -hmm. me, it was, um, <laughs> do you want to get really dorky? Yeah. I the do. dudes, the dudes I hung out with on football Sundays, the, like the guys who I played fantasy football with, 
um, who anchored me to this earth and who would do who would do the things that a spiritual that a religious community a faith community would do. Yeah. When, you know, when when I'm in when one of us is in crisis, we take each other out for beers. Yeah. And that's that's care. what Turkile talked about a lot in exactly. in his research is how faith communities and spiritual communities are popping up in non-traditional ways in other communities. Yeah, he As talks you about, mentioned a fantasy football group. Yeah. And he talk, I mean, he talks in his research about things like um like bar classes or mm-hmm. you know, like uh, CrossFit, which I mean yeah. sorry, CrossFit people, but that's a total cult. But um the uh but like the like that that whole idea of them stepping up and doing the work. It's it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me. So that was my progression. It was yeah. I lost in in thinking about it now, I can see that progression. You know, it was physical at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I lost my physical touchstones, I also lost touch with my physical self. Um, I began to no longer think of myself as a physical person in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, that turned into me um, uh, abusing my physical self because I didn't think it existed anymore. And so that, I mean, that's big. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I see that progression and I see that progression play out for a lot of people. I think I've been through different cycles of that. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I've leaned into different aspects of, of your list more than others. Mm-hmm. But I want to go down to the end of your essay and talk about the last piece that I highlighted. Mm-hmm. And, and in this piece, you recognize the uniqueness of preserving these moments post COVID. And so this is where we see that COVID has fundamentally changed, not just you, but also your relationship to your community, Mm -hmm. um, your relationship to your brother, your parents, probably lots of relationships. So I'll read this piece and then we can talk about that. You say, Before the COVID pandemic, I'm not sure he and I would have been so quick to make that walk together. It always seemed there was something we needed to be doing for mom or dad or our kids. But three years later with the global pandemic having having taken so much time from us, we are much more aware of the need to make these walks together. And there are probably two things happening here. Three years is a big age difference for our children. You and I have children that are about the same age. Mm-hmm. And so when COVID began, your children were how old? Uh, I guess it would be three years ago. So it was uh, two, well, 23. They would have been uh, nine and seven. Right. And there's a big difference between walking away from a house where your parents yeah. are watching a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old yep. to where they're watching a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. So there's a yep. little bit of that probably at play here that you and your brother are experiencing a natural progression in your independence as parents, but also you are seeing what COVID removed you from for mm-hmm. a few years. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I'm going to, um, uh, true confession. This is a me problem. Um, I, before the pandemic, would have found reasons not to go. My brother is the most gregarious, adventurous. Um, He seeks this stuff out. He he would have taken the kids to the store. um, And I would have gone with him reluctantly. Mm -hmm. But after after being down bad, um, as I mentioned, um, I am now willing to so i think for aaron the do you want to go to the store moment 
which happens earlier in the piece where we're just sitting there and he's like, you want to go to the store? I was like, sure. And he says, well, we should probably get beers. I'm like, okay. Um, and for me, that would have been a moment where he probably would have known not even ask because I was always, you know, folding laundry for mom or um, helping, you know, doing the dishes for mom, um, bringing something up from the basement for dad. Where Aaron was, Aaron would have been happy to just go to the store. Um, but I recognize now that because of being so on my knees, that that is the moment where if I don't do it, if I don't do it, nothing will change, but also nothing will change. Yeah. Yeah. And you are changing. We all are. We are. Yeah. We are. I'm in this weird, I'm like, I'm in this weird spot, Maeve, and you've seen me now for, well, through the duration of this project, we're like, I feel different. Like the world, because of our metacognition that we are experiencing right now by talking about our development, yeah. um, the world feels different. I, You and I were texting the other night and I said, if, imagine if everyone did this kind of metac metacognition work on themselves. This is like, this is intense. And it, but it allows like these conversations and for anyone listening, you know, these conversations are the way that, that we push forward. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so for, yeah, it was, it was very, um, it was very interesting for me to be able to be in my space. And even when I was a kid, um, Aaron would have had to have could, uh, cajoled me into going to the store. Like I would yeah. go, I would go fine. Like it was Dr. Pepper and baseball cards, yeah. but, um, uh, but I, I needed some, I needed some cajoling to get out the door. I love that. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore not anymore not today not today bolin <laughs> so then let's go a little bit uh, a little bit higher up in your essay to the second piece that i highlighted okay and uh at this point that i noticed that um this is where we see the strain that covid put on our relationships during the time mm -hmm. and so we have a contrast between what you just said about, about realizing who you've become post COVID and how you got there. So how you got there, uh, at this moment, walking in the middle of the street, I'm literally standing in his shadow. He's tall. That's not part of your quote. You mentioned that earlier. He's so tall. I'm yes. I'm reminded of how precious this time together is the very time that was both suspended and robbed during the thick of the COVID years when getting our families together meant rapid tests before and after and limiting our time and travel to the bare minimum. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this piece for a few reasons. First of all, I love your phrasing um, time that was both suspended and robbed. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm about to write a piece, which in the, in the drive I have titled, I think I've titled it the piece that might break me. I saw that. And, um, and I'm going to be writing about not seeing my mom <sighs> for more than a year. I think <sighs> we went somewhere between 14 and 16 months without seeing each other at all. And, um, my family had just been through a, a really difficult time in losing my dad. And so, this concept of time being suspended and robbed and, and families having to go the extra distance in order to be together is really interesting to me. And I want you to talk about what your family did, how you all went out of your way 
for each other and, mm-hmm. and why it was so important during those months to continue making that effort. I will. First though, I want to um, just acknowledge, let you know that I am so, so sorry for, for your losses um, during the pandemic. And um, I, I know about your stories and I, I will never not wish that you and I were in closer touch um, through those years. And so I just want to let you know that I'm holding space for that. Another and, episode, Blanger. Yeah. Another episode. Now, well, right now I want to get into a couple it more. I just want to tell you that, um, that I am grateful for the work that you do um, you. with your family. Um, for, you know, it's interesting, the suspension and the robbing of time. We were at a standstill. Time was non-existent. It was one long day and the sun just came up and went down seemingly sporadically um, when it felt like it. And, but the problem with that suspension is that you don't come out of it and get it back. And so for, for me, it was losing Aaron during those years. My parents, so we are situated in Massachusetts. I know you guys think Massachusetts is so tiny and we are adorable, adorable. Really adorable. Our accents are annoying, but we're adorable. Our sports teams are also annoying. Um, for sure. For sure. We, yeah, you guys should beat us occasionally. Can um, confirm. <laughs> if if someone else would win, we'd be happy to pass the torch. Mm. Um, the uh, so Aaron lives in Boston. Uh, Aaron lives three miles from Boston Garden, a town called Medford. It's where Jingle Bells was written, and roller skates invented. My sister-in-law will tell you all about it. Um, I live in the middle of the state-ish, South Hadley, Massachusetts. My parents live closer to Albany, New York. I am basically in the middle. My parents were part of our pod during the pandemic. And so Larry and Donna were at our house all the time. And I recognize how fortunate I am. Uh, Sometimes a couple of nights during the week, um, definitely every weekend, they were our people. For Aaron, that was not the case. Um, His pod, his in-laws live right in Medford as well. And so he was in a different community for a whole 18 months. That's not to say we didn't see each other, but we did when it it was, I mean, it was the, if you think about uh, COVID classic, not not these new strains, COVID classic before vaccine was terrifying. Yeah. And... You know, we didn't know the science yet. And so the rapid tests were a thing we would have. It was always at my house in my driveway. Um, I would break the grill out. And even in the cold months, I would grill outside. We would set up, we have a, a walk-in garage and we would set it up and sit in the little, the little space there, try to keep our distance. Remember very specifically um, one time when my mom decided to sneak some hugs of my nephews. Mm. And it was both beautiful. It was all things. It was beautiful. It was sad. And it was also scary. And I remember feeling all of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my brother not really sure what to do with that because he wanted to allow it to happen. He did. But also we were all trying to protect each other. And so, yeah, those were the, those moments. That's how we got through it. 
that's how we got through it until the until the vaccinations. Um, and then last summer we all went when everyone was vaccinated. We rented a house up on Lake Champlain and went and you know really uh really did it up. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, but still, I mean, that was last summer before people before the kids were boosted, and so um yeah, we are now we we see each other all the time. Um, the ninety five minutes doesn't quite seem as um impenetrable anymore. That one thing I will say about Massachusetts, the one thing that we don't get correct. Yes, I said the one thing is that our highways are too small. And so even oh. though it's 70 miles, it takes about two hours because we have two mm. lanes. It's yeah. a bit. Yeah, we need to. And, and for you small state people, that probably means like four stops, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> the amount of crap that you give me when I was texting you from our drive. Like we have coming back from the just to fill everyone in coming back from the Finger Lakes two weeks ago. Maeve checked in and I said, I've got about an hour and 20 minutes to go. So we're about to stop and change drivers. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? Why would one stop? Is, is someone bleeding? Just keep going. Keep driving. Yeah. What are you doing? You're almost home. <laughs> I just realized one of the things I really enjoy about having a podcast to add to our writing or having an opportunity to discuss our writing in this way are the things that we add to it in our discussion. You don't write about the fact that you and your brother were living in separate in-law pods during this time that Ooh. he was um, he was given his time to his his other family. Yeah. And it, that's really interesting. It really highlights the dynamic that you write about. Well, maybe this piece is momentary in so many ways. It is. And I, that's actually how I want, that's how I'm trying to stay in this work for now, for this, these mm-hmm. movements of this work. I'm trying to stay momentary and build out for moments. But let me tell you a quick anecdote about the moment I realized that Aaron was, uh, Aaron was willing to choose the other family. My brother was on Family Feud about 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. Great story. He was an undercover uh, narcotics detective who had to use his alias. Um, <laughs> but uh, and so when Steve Harvey said his name, there was a moment where Aaron was like, and he's like, oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> but um, but that was in. So Aaron, and he he did not choose the Belangers to go with. So your boy could have yeah. been on Family Feud. Maeve. Yeah, I would have been awesome. Yeah, you would have. You, I would, mm, you would have brought. All the enthusiasm. They would have never seen anything like me. I know. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm All right, let's <laughs> let's dig back in. So one thing that we haven't talked about as we've gone through these, we've talked about how COVID affected relationships and, and relationships are central to our community. And so I wanted to bring it back to the neighborhood feel that you talk about so clearly throughout this yeah. essay. That's and so hood. now I'm on the the third piece that I highlighted, which says... It's interesting to think about the way these neighborhood traditions and routines shape the people we become. What's undeniable is that these are our first non-family relationships that we develop close to our homes. Bev, who's a neighbor, Aaron and I will crack a couple of driveway beers. We'll crisscross through the next 20 minutes, mixing old stories with new information. We'll get updates about Mo and Aaron, their kids and their careers. In truth, these are the types of stories we don't need to be swapping. Social media has kept us all pretty clo- in pretty close touch, even through the decades since we all left, and especially through the COVID years of hyper Facebook sharing. So now we're back into community as we look at your first community, the people that you grew up with, um, Bev, who saw you when you were a kid and, and saw you uh, has seen you through different phases. And so I just, I want you to talk about 
in this moment, what do you realize you lost during that time? And, and how, how are you replacing it now with this sense of joy that you're finding in familiar spaces? I am. I am. Bev, Bev represents so much to me. Um, our houses, it's a, I've sent you photos of, of my, my childhood neighborhood before. It's, it's so, the houses are very close together. There are yards, the yards are beautiful. The yards are small. There's a river behind the whole street that really, I mean, obviously the river, the, the yards stop there. Um, all of the yards on that street are probably less than a quarter of an acre. And, um, and so that meant that as kids, that neighborhood uh, was, we could hear Bev and Aaron and Maureen and Bill having dinner in their kitchen right right across like within 20 feet from our window that looked out onto our driveway we could hear them eating as we were eating so they really were our closest people um and for bev she is bev and larry and donna are the only remaining residents of our neighborhood from my childhood mm. And so when Aaron and I were coming back with our beers and Bev popped out, huge smile, big, big voice. Um, she wanted to give us an update. And I just held up a couple of beers and I said, hey, you want to do this? And so yeah. we leaned we leaned on our car and we choked down two beers a piece in 20 minutes and just let it rip. And Bev for me represents um, the physical manifestation of of the beauty of our neighborhood. Um, she, to me, still looks exactly the way she did when I was seven years old, running like hell from her because she saw me jump over her chain link fence, which was the biggest no-no. Um, we used to, so we played wiffle ball in our backyard and the home run was over Bev's fence, obviously. It's a fence, it's like the green monster. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And unless you're Mike Buth, who perfected the run and standing jump over the top. Mike was a freak. He could get over it and not touch it at all. I was a fat kid. So what it looked like for me was kind of like a, like, like a polar bear running and then sort of slamming into it and tumbling <laughs> over the top. And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't above trying that. I wasn't going to walk all the way around the yard. And she saw me one time and came out and uh, you know, she made sure I never did it again, but I, she still looks exactly the same to me. And, uh, and I know that's not the case. I know I don't look the same, but so when we saw Bev, when Aaron and I saw Bev, um, it really was, it was a chance to reunite with our community in a way that no one else, no one else could offer. That's amazing. Yeah. One thing that I really enjoy while you're talking about this is your presence, the way that you are stopping in these moments, neighbor comes out to the driveway and you're spending 20 minutes having two beers with her, which is a detour coming back to your parents' house and coming back to where your kids are before you go on this weekend trip. But you found that moment to be present. Yeah. And those are words that you and I share with each other a lot. Yeah, they are. Be present. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always easy, right? It's not always easy. It's, no. it's very easy to not be where your feet are. And uh, that is, that's an important mantra. And in these moments, I think that's the beauty of some of these essays that we're, that we're developing together. All of them actually um, in is, is it, it's helping us to even, even in moments we don't want to be present in, 
Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 You don't really get to choose what your moments look like, do you? No, I've tried. No. Kyle, thank you for writing this piece. Thank you Maybe. for sharing it with me and spending some time um, just talking about your family and your community and what you've learned about yourself in these last few months. You know, I have to say I'm, and I, that hearing you consider the piece is one of the great joys of this writing. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. so often we write in, we write for ourselves. We're, we're, we're communicators. And so to do this in a communal way is, is really beautiful. And I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you for Absolutely. considering. I had a light bulb moment earlier when you were talking about the writing process and how much you're discovering about yourself. The reason, the two reasons that people write as writing instructor, I've always known that one of the reasons my students, not all of them, some of my students love writing, probably more people dislike or or fail to connect with writing than, than people who do. Mm -hmm. And I've always known that it has to do with vulnerability, yeah. but you really highlighted it a few moments ago when you were talking about the reasons that people write and, and what you were able to find out when you were working through this piece. And so as writing instructors, I believe it really helps us to see how much openness we need to foster within our spaces in order for students to be comfortable with the very basic task. And that's not even considering the fear that they have of our judgment. Yeah. You know, how many times they've been told rules about writing that really aren't rules about writing. And, and we have those huge hills to climb with them just to get them to trust that they can write around us without yeah. feeling insecure or judged about their product, but then it's where they're placing themselves in that product. That's also a lot for them. I'm really enjoying what we're doing here. And for our listeners, I encourage you to find a Kyle or find a Maeve. Yeah. Highly recommend have to be named Kyle or Maeve. <laughs> Maves are hard to find. I mean, yeah. And, and most yeah. Kyles aren't awesome. So if we're being honest. It's not like... So I encourage you to find somebody that you can write through your life with in some way totally. and, and share that. And then uh, what Kyle and I have noticed too, is we've been, uh, we've already had opportunities to share these pieces with people that we love. And we're really doing it so that they'll pre-order our book, but also we're, we're doing this because the things that we are writing are already reaching people, um, yeah. pre-publication, pre-publication. If you want to pre-order, just write uh, uh, yes, please. And put it on your door in a pink post-it note. The first 17 pink post-it notes that are a specific color of pink will get a free second copy on me. Again, that's yes, please. Pink post-it note front door. Leave it there until we pick it up. Literally uh, on him. He will show up at your door. Yeah, I, <laughs> just get on my hands and knees. It'll be right on my back. Yes. It won't be Here weird at all. Go. <laughs> hey, well, thank look, you all for listening today. And I'm going to, I'm going to let Kyle rap because that's what he does. He wraps the, the show, but I wanted to say thank you before you did. You, do you want to wrap it? You can wrap it. Go oh. for it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, actually, no. All right. Look what you've done. You've wasted another hour with writing our way out with Maeve and Kyle. She is Maeve. I am not. We'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>